You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. It is our 13th and final post-game edition of this 2023 Penn State season. We are coming to you live once again from downtown Atlanta. We are fresh out of Mercedes-Benz Stadium where Penn State suffered a 38-25 loss to Ole Miss. It's the first 11-win season uh, for that Rebels program under Lane Kiffin. And for Penn State, they finished 10-3, and 3-2 uh, and two now all-time in, in New Year's Six Bowls under James Franklin, 4-5 and five in, in postseason games under James Franklin, uh, in bowl games under James Franklin. And uh, J- this is an interesting conversation to have. I think everybody's having a little trouble wrapping their heads around a lot of these bowl games. And what do you apply to them? What do you take out of them, Daniel? And I think ultimately a big takeaway for us beyond the box score, and we'll get into a lot of the ins and outs of this game, is the the projection that we heard in early December. Uh, you know, when this when this was actually announced, this matchup, and as Penn State was settling into what was going to be a chaotic month across college football, very much sounded like this was a team trending toward an all-in kind of finish uh, heading into this matchup between a number 10 team in the country, number 11 team in the country, both trying to get their best and most impressive win of the season late and yet didn't quite survive this month of December. And, and I thought James Franklin's press conference, some of the things he said, you have a story up about it, the moving parts. It was what he said a few different times there, Daniel Gallen. What do we make of James Franklin's comments and what do you make of what December ultimately turned out to be for this Penn State squad? Yeah, I, I think that there's a very, very stark contrast between kind of what we were expecting and, and what the final product looked like. Um, I, I think that part of it is the way that Penn State tried to go, go about this uh, in terms of you know, they didn't have many pure opt outs. Like you had Chop Robinson announcing in early December that he's not playing. You have Johnny Dixon kind of disappearing uh, from from the team. And then today before the game, you have Olu Fashionu and Kalen King getting listed as out on that pregame availability report. Um, And that came on the heels of Franklin saying earlier this week that there was a plan that he and Kalen King and Kalen King's family were comfortable with. So we were kind of under the impression that he was going to play. Um, and then, but I think when you, so there's not many pure opt-outs, but then you stack that on top of the kind of, you know, halfway in thing that they tried to do, um, with guys like Dio Johnson, um, Curtis Jacobs, uh, a lot of the guys who declared for the draft, but elected to play in this game. Um, and you saw it in the first half, uh, Adisa Isaac was another, um, you saw those guys a lot in the first half. Um, and then even then, like, I think it was pretty clear in the first half that Theo Johnson was splitting his reps with Khalil Dinkins. Uh, but then as you get into the second half, um, you didn't see those guys, you know, maybe for a couple snaps, you know, if you saw them at all. Um, and so 
you by the time you got to the the stretch run of the game where you're in the third quarter of a a one possession game um they had three drives in a row uh late in the second quarter through halftime there and into the third quarter where they could have scored a touchdown to take the lead um and you're you know the offense was still mostly intact even factoring in those and even not having olu and having only half of a half of caden wallace i thought the offensive line held up well but uh it, it was just one of those things where when you got to the kind of crunch time you looked at who was out there um you know their experience level versus who would have been out there in kind of a, a real you know game if we were playing in october or november um and, and that really stood out so i, I do think that uh, james franklin talked about those moving parts and you know it's it's a thing where you're kind of like well you had a month to prepare for this game um, and I do think that I pers- I think that maybe the the switch and on the switches on the coaching staff were probably a little bit more. They weren't necessarily plug and play. You know, losing Manny Diaz, having Anthony Poindexter out there, like that's different. Um, and I think that we all know how the players felt about Manny uh, and and how he was as a leader as well. Um, but you know, it, it was kind of interesting to hear that be one of the first things that James Franklin brought up uh, in his opening statement after the game. Tell you what, I, I had a chance to look through the the uh, snap counts, which are up from Pro Football Focus, and Daquan Hardy played almost 90 snaps today in his final Nittany Lions game. So before we start talking about abbreviated performances, tip of the cap to Mr. Hardy, uh, who declared for the NFL draft already. We knew where he was heading in 2024. This is a guy who was second team All Big Ten uh, as a defensive back and as a special teamer, um, and, and so really interesting just just looking at that but as you work your way through curtis jacobs played 26 snaps um adiza isaac played 20 snaps and um you know you, you were missing shop robinson and and johnny dixon along the way and spoke with denied dennis sudden and let's put this out there it was a very emotional locker room uh that we entered uh you were over it with the james franklin's press conference where you also heard from from kj winston and tyler warren um i was over in the penn state player locker room as you'd imagine there were some tears on the faces uh there was some talking through emotions i appreciate the guys for for spending some time with us and, and denied dennis sudden was among them and he was a guy that that you know said no, this was not the same Penn State defense. Manny Diaz matters, and 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 he talked about missing Shop and missing Johnny, um, and, and you know looking around the field there in the second half and maybe not seeing some of the the dogs that they have you know journeyed with to get to this point, establishing themselves as a number one overall defense during the regular season. And this is not us trying to implement excuses on behalf of Penn State for what proved to be a a game that got away from them in a significant way after halftime. But this is to point to the fact that James Franklin kind of laid out a blueprint early on this month to us publicly, and he doubled down on it and kind of tripled down on it and where he felt the culture was in Lash building and getting to the finish line. And I just got the sense that this is my seventh season covering the team. This is your third season covering the team. You can pick up things from James Franklin. And when he's already discussing now that they need to have some 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 open conversations, some honest conversations about how they want to approach things in the future. Now, in the future, they want to be in the college football playoff where you, you'd imagine you're not trying to talk guys into staying with you. But you just think about who was on the field in the second half and how motivated Ole Miss seemed. And, and they followed through on that. I mean, Ole Miss had their their horses out there. That was wide receiver group looked as good as advertised. And so I, I think when you put this all together, I'm almost wondering if James Franklin himself is a little let down by how things turned out. And I know people say, well, if he's let down, that's on him. You're the head coach, but you can't force people to make decisions. And I just wonder if maybe he was told some things along the month of December that led him to believe Penn State would be in a better place for four quarters against Ole Miss, which is a 10-win SEC team. And I just wonder if he's going to go home and say, I can't experience this again. Yeah, I I touched on it a little bit in the uh, story on lines247.com, and James Franklin referenced it too, where going into the Rose Bowl last year, it was just Parker Washington and Joey Porter Jr., um, and both of them in, in Washington's case, he was hurt. In Porter's case, he had had that surgery that he and he had come back to make the cameo and on Senior Day, and then he was done after that. Um, both of them were there uh, in in Pasadena, and I think that Franklin talks about how like they were got they had everyone in the bowl game last year, um, and I kind of think that he was expecting something similar. 
because that was something too that after they lost that second game uh to michigan like i think one of the things that we talked about was okay we saw last year's team really rally from that point because you had guys like sean clifford and jair brown who wanted to leave that program back where it was when they got there uh in 2018 2019 um, and they'd been through those two, uh, you know, they'd been through the 11 and 11 stretch. Um, and it was kind of like, okay, like last year, things were clearly ascending. Whereas this year, it was a bit of a plateau year. It was a little bit of deja vu, you know, losing to Michigan, losing to Ohio State. And this was a team that the goal wasn't to leave it like you found it. The goal was to, we are going to improve. We are going to take that next step. We are going to build. We are not going to be stagnant. Um, and you saw them finish 10 and two again, you're looking up again at Ohio state and Michigan. Uh, you're looking up again at Michigan as the, the big 10 champ. Um, and so I, I think that that's something too, that, um, you know, it's every year is different. And even though you had all these players that saw what the guys did last year and how that worked for them, um, it's still a different year and feelings are different. Expectations are different. And that really, really plays into it. So uh, that was something that I think in the back of our minds that we'd kind of been wondering because the whole goal of this year was to take that next step. Uh, there really was a window for them. Uh, we talked about it's the end of this, a certain type of era of college football. Penn State wanted to make their mark on it. We now know that they had one of their best defenses ever uh, that at their disposal, and they just could not get there. And so uh, I think that there is – you know, a, a bit of a letdown that, that comes from that. I don't think that's something that someone might necessarily say publicly, um, but I, I think that that's definitely an undercurrent when you talk about, maybe when you talk about buy-in or, or commitment and things of that nature. Yeah, so just to, to reiterate what Penn State ended up missing here, uh, what was an All-American left tackle, uh, second two second-team uh, All-Big Ten cornerbacks in, in Dixon, and King, uh, and then of course a first-team All Big Ten edge rusher and Shop Robinson, Shop Robinson, who went about it in the way we've become accustomed to it. You know, I think three weeks before the game, he says, "Hey, good time here, but it's time for me to prepare for the NFL draft." He's a projected first-round pick by many. He was on the sideline today. It was good to see Shop back around the team. Uh, but but those were the pieces, and then we talked about in the second half because of the way they kind of tailored their plans here in the postseason. And I imagine there were some promises made between James Franklin and the staff and players about how they would handle them here in the bowl game. And I just wondered, you know, you hear, you hear a lot of passion from, from several of these seniors going out and guys who are committed to playing. I just wonder maybe what was going through their mind when they actually had to face that moment. When you get into the second half, it's a 20 to 17 game. We're all talking at halftime. This, this feels like the Cotton Bowl in 2019. It's a rapid scoring pace. It's fun football after a snoozer of an SEC Big Ten showdown on Friday night between Missouri and Ohio State. We got action. Old Miss, Penn State. And then all of a sudden it becomes the 2021 Outback Bowl for Penn State in the <laughs> second half where a lot of those guys that you count on aren't around for, for you on the football field and steadily the game gets away from you. Ole Miss gets 18 unanswered points on the board to make it a 38-17 to 17 game, and it's been a long time, Daniel, since we saw Penn State face that kind of a deficit and this kind of a, a, a whooping on defense, giving up more than 500 total yards. Got to go back to the October 2022 loss against Michigan, and I know one, no one wants to remember that one, uh, but that's what this turned into. This It was you know, very different. It felt like the first half was the, uh, that, that 2019 Cotton Bowl. The second half was the 2021 Outback Bowl, and well, what did happen in the Outback Bowl? That week leading up to the to the matchup, we saw a, a series of opt-outs, and I remember speaking on this post-game podcast after their loss to Arkansas. I believe they were winning at halftime against Arkansas that day, and they ended up losing by 17 points or so because the second half got away from them. I remember just thinking, how does James Franklin avoid that happening again? And of course, that year they finished seven and five. They had a really rough second half of the season. And here they were with last year. These guys experienced it. They, they saw what a run could look like in December and what could happen when you go out and win a Rose Bowl. Um, and I just think when you get into a situation and, and I'm not going to say that these guys made the wrong decisions for themselves. When, when Kalen King and, and Olu and, and, and Shop 
And even the guys who, you know, decided to kind of come out of that game and, and, and stick to that plan the second half. Again, I just wonder what it felt like for them when that moment came. And it was like you had to go to the sideline and watch things fall apart and, and watch some of your younger you know, younger players have to what you call baptism by fire. And, and that's not to discredit those younger players and their talent, but they're getting thrust into a situation where it's a national showcase kind of game against a high caliber opponent. And especially those young cornerbacks where you lost two all Big Ten caliber players, you really saw the impact in the passing game and what Jackson Dart was able to do. And I think Zion Tracy, Elliott Washington, Cam Miller, I think they're all going to play in the NFL someday. This is just a really tough setting to say, okay, go out there. Let's see what you got. And that's what had to happen today at a few different positions. Now, Drew Shelton has plenty of experience at left tackle, so that wasn't necessarily as impacted. And perhaps the stunning thing here, and maybe the the, the most – the most frustrating thing I think for Penn State fans is here. You can look at the defense and say, okay, this wasn't the same defense that we saw during the regular season. Manny Diaz is gone. All these players are off the field. The offense was largely intact. In fact, they got back a guy who they're calling wide receiver one in preseason camp in Harrison Wallace. And yet 46 minutes into this game, no wide receiver has a single reception. Drew Aller, again, uh, finishes under 50% pass completion. He did that against Ohio State. He did that against Michigan. I know it was 19 of 39. He barely finished it. But what I'm making the point here is the offense did not show up in the way they th that we thought they might with a month of preparation coming off of an explosive fireworks show in Detroit. And there were some special moments along the way, but one came off a tip pass that Tyler Warren corralled and went 75 yards with. And... This was not the game. It was for Nick Singleton. Nick Singleton delivered. We can talk about him more. This is a game that makes you feel really good about Nick Singleton and, and where he's heading as a, as a junior. This is a game that I think gives you a little bit of pause, though, about where Drew Aller is in his development. Because when the brights have been on, uh, when the lights have been the brightest this season, and the and the competition has been elevated, and it's a moment where you need your franchise quarterback to maybe elevate those around him. And that may be a tall task with this wide receiver group right now. I think we've addressed that a lot, but it just has not come to fruition for Draller. And his future offensive coordinator, Andy Kotelnicki, was standing there on the sidelines getting a long look at everything. They'll get back to work in about 10 days in State College, and 2024 preparation will be underway. But, Daniel, I think that's where I'm left as we transition from the opt-out and who was missing conversation. That was largely the defense. The offense today, they gave up one sack. And I thought there were opportunities for, for plays to be out there. I don't know what you point to, receiver, Drew Aller. James Franklin says the coaching staff, the offensive line, also deserves some, some blame with, with, with Drew Aller's inconsistencies. But for me, this isn't going to be a talking point. And I know it's kind of unfair to base it on 60 minutes of what factors out to be an exhibition. But we discussed it leading up to this one. Drew Aller, whatever kind of taste he left in the fan base's mouth coming out of the Peach Bowl matchup, was going to be kind of hanging over. So it was either going to be, we are go for launch, Drew Aller's going to be a Heisman Trophy candidate, or now we've got a segment of the fan base saying, James Franklin needs to take a longer look at Bo Perbula. And that's where it's going to be, and that's where the conversation is. And we've got spring ball to look forward until March, but Drew Aller's not going to be throwing a pass to his wide receivers and pads until mid-March, and, and this is the last sample size that we have to work off of. Yeah, there's, there's a couple things uh, with, with what we were just talking about to, to to touch on and I, I think that one thing with James Franklin uh, and these opt-outs and everything he did say post game I, I pulled the quote up where he said I don't want this to come off the wrong way I'm not criticizing but it is what it is it's the reality I think about guys that did play in the game and how appreciative we are but not only appreciative there's an opportunity to create value by playing in games as well um, and I think that that's kind of the a message that he is he is delivering and you know, he also said uh, that uh, you mentioned it earlier that they're going to have to talk about things for next year. He was on the podium with KJ Winston and Tyler Warren, and he gestured to them as he was giving that answer. Um, I think that you can read between the lines about who some of the leaders on this team are going to be next year. Um, and then I think, I, and the defense, <laughs> we have so much coming off of this game, but you know, with the defense and you think about what they were facing in this Ole Miss offense, you know, James Franklin gave some credit to Lane Giffen for knowing that you had two pretty green corners out there and going after them again and again and again. Um, and I think some of those throws by Jackson Dart, I don't know if Kalen King or Johnny Dixon make the play because they, he had some really, he had some dimes uh, the, the way that he was going. But, you know, you factor that in, you factor in, 
you're you have an ascend, ascending Ole Miss team. You have a motivated Ole Miss team um, coming into this, where they're kind of where Penn State was last year going into the Rose Bowl. It just made the the all of that stuff combined. I think really really did make it tough. But I think when you look at the offense, um, you look at the the three games that three biggest games on the schedule and what Drew Aller did in them. And it's very, very uninspiring. I think that even, you know, that completion percentage dipped below, (laughs) below 50%, but he got up close to 300 yards. He got that second touchdown. You know, he, they, they took advantage of their opportunity in garbage time. Um, But you're just not seeing it on a consistent basis. And the, the wide receivers, it is really, really, you know, kind of baffling at this point, you kind of, it's very much like we just need to see how things are going to shake out this off season um, at this point. But I, I just think that with Drew Aller, it's just kind of, you know, the, the inconsistency this year, the inability to put it together, not even just for four quarters against a, a quality opponent, but maybe even if you could get two quarters out of it, just something, uh, there was never really a, a big spark. I think that some of the things today, you got those sparks because you got some bounces that you didn't get uh, against Michigan and Ohio State. You touched on the 75-yard play to Tyler Warren. Um, I think even the even Nick Singleton's touchdown catch uh, from Bo Previla was kind of one of those plays where it's Bo Previla throwing across the field, which normally isn't what <laughs> I think you want Bo Previla to be doing. And Especially not to Drew Aller. <laughs> Oh, well, I was thinking about the, the Singleton touchdown. I was just um, mentioning throwing across the field. Oh, yeah. Well, we can get to that one. Um, and so it's like doing that Singleton play. It's, you know, it's a weird play throwing across. Um, and then, you know, Singleton makes a couple guys miss and then goes. So it's just kind of like the the big plays there where they didn't even feel like they're in the flow of the offense and things like that. So it's going to be an interesting off season for Andy Kotal Nikki. I'm, I'm not quite sure, um, you know, what this is going to look like as we go forward. I'm really, really curious, but I think that as they go into this off season, there's a lot of work for Drew Aller to do. I think that Danny O'Brien, James Franklin, Andy Kotal Nikki, I think that their top priority needs to be figuring out what they can do as an offense um, to put Drew Aller in better positions especially because we don't know what that wide receiver room is going to look like um, and then being able to go from there. Yeah, there, there's um, there's a lot to dive into that receiver room. I think we can probably jump into it right now because, again, you go 46 minutes of football where the opponent is you know, showcasing its elite wide receiver set. We, we heard uh, from, from Anthony Poindexter, the interim co-defensive coordinator, earlier this week, and he tipped his cap in a significant way uh, to Ole Miss. He said that was probably the most productive unit that they've had to prepare for, and uh, he said maybe Ohio State, and, and you know everyone knows what Ohio State's room brings to the table, but this is a Mississippi group that had three guys over 700 receiving yards, and then, well, <laughs> Kalen Prescorn, Wow, what I mean, this guy has a career day. Um, they they add two two players over 130 receiving yards in their tight end pre-scorn, and then Trey Harris, their wide receiver. And then again, you you flip it over to Penn State side. The tight ends were as productive as we've seen. Uh, a typical kind of day for them. Theo Johnson scores a touchdown in the first half. A uh, nice way to punctuate his Penn State career. He had seven touchdowns this season after the bye week. Um, he ended up tying Tyler Warren for the team lead with touchdown catches, and then Tyler Warren uh, had a huge day, uh, you know, over one, well over 100 yards on the afternoon. But you work your way through the receiver group, and these guys were uh, largely a non-factor for three quarters. They also weren't targeted much, uh, so that tells me there's either a uh, something with trust, the disconnect with trust, and Drew Aller being willing to let loose and let the ball fly. There was a moment where he did let the ball fly deep to Amari Evans, but he was also encountering a defender, and it was probably the poorest pass that we've seen from Drew Aller this season. It was only a second interception of the season, but it was a a play that stood out in this matchup. And when you work your way through, Keandre Lambert-Smith, you know, he had 350 more receiving yards than anyone on this team during the regular season, but the final four games of this season, the final 16 quarters of Penn State season here, uh, he had two catches for 28 yards. Dante Cephas did not play football today for the Penn State Nittany Lions. This is a guy who started every game in November and seemed to be making some strides, and you wondered if maybe December would be another building block for him, finishing off his first year as a pretty high-profile transfer out of Kent State. And Daniel 
that came up in the post game with James Franklin as well. So we're trying to wrap our head around this. Harrison Wallace had some nice moments. They typically came later. He also had a bad moment where he dropped the pass that would have put Penn State at first and goal early on in the game, and that led to a field goal. But when it comes to Cephas falling off the face of the earth with his offensive attack, James Franklin was pretty blunt about why it happened. Yeah, it was. Uh, I had the chance to ask uh, Franklin post game if Dante Cephas was available to play. And if he was, what went into him not playing? Uh, and Franklin said that everything's in a, an open competition every week, and the depth chart reflects that. And then obviously, when you're in a bowl situation and you've got three weeks, there's a lot of movement that can occur in three weeks. Uh, and then he also said that getting Trey Wallace back uh, was a factor because when he went out uh, with that injury that he had against Indiana, um, that was when Cephas was able to get elevated uh, into the starting lineup. But I think that it was just kind of it was just such a surprise to not see Cephas today because when you're thinking about next year, you're thinking about guys that in our minds at this point in the year could still be playmakers, could still be difference makers. I think that he's someone that is in that category for you. Um, but it was just very, I think the wide receiver usage today, I think that you do have kind of the argument that you can make the argument that with the way that Tyler Warren was playing, with what we saw Theo Johnson do and we know what he's capable of and the way that Nick Singleton has just continued to come along this year as a wide receiver, it was kind of like, well, this is working. So, you know, maybe it's not the most uh, glaring thing, but mm -hmm. you, know, you need those guys on the outside. You need them. You need to have that threat. That makes everything easier for everyone else. And they've just never given defenses a reason to really take them seriously um, from that respect this season. And I think that, it's really, really showed. Um, Harrison Wallace got targeted on that first drive, didn't get another target again until the fourth quarter. You know, his four catches, 67 yards, um, one touchdown. Uh, he had the he led the the wide receivers <clears throat> in receptions and catches. All of those came in the the fourth quarter when the the game was out of reach. And Liam Clifford three for 25. That was the same. Um, Keandre Lambert Smith got targeted once. Uh, and it was a it was a drop and kind of a, a leaping catch. I think the ball is behind him a little bit, and it just you know, was was not a good play. But that's someone that only got targeted once. So it's just that this group where we are now, <laughs> based on what we thought after that West Virginia game, where you have Keandre Lambert Smith, you have Malik McLean, Omari Evans, Omari, and Omari Evans was we saw him. It's just. It's very, very surprising to, to see that we've gotten to this point. I'm not sure it's surprising. I, I mean, based on the sample size, but it, I think it's super disappointing because I yeah. think this is one area James Franklin acknowledged himself they, that he felt like in December they were excited about the development there. Uh, and, and I think you really got to look at this, uh, Daniel, at the end of the day. This is a receiver room that we knew needed help a year ago, you know, December 30th of, of two, 2022, before we even saw the Rose Bowl play. We knew that this group needed an influx of talent. And it, it, you brought three guys in, Carmelo Taylor, who we was a non-factor, practice guy, freshman. We'll see what he looks like next year as a redshirt freshman. But you got two guys that had experience at the FBS level. You had a two-time all-MAC all performer in Dante Cephas. You had a former Florida State starter in Malik McLean. And neither of them got a single route in the Peach Bowl. And to me, that is a reflection of a failed operation to better your receiver room. And we know that they dumped the last guy who ran this room back at the Rose Bowl last year. And they brought in a new coach in Marcus Hagans. And there was a lot moving, a lot of moving parts, young components here. And, and we talked about it all offseason. And for a long time, it was, it was Harrison Wallace, it's Keandre Lambert-Smith, it's everybody else. And then for a while, it's only Keandre Lambert-Smith. And then at the end, it's never Keandre Lambert-Smith. And no one really steps up along that way. There was never anyone to fill the void. Maybe you could say Tyler Warren stepped up to help out with the passing game. But this is an alarming situation to me because you've got the coach who, who just led this group. And I'm going to, you know, I, I think everyone who's maybe trying to push the panic button on Marcus Higgins, I can understand why, because of the performance. But I also think we need to, to see him bring in one guy that's that 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 he didn't inherit. He he inherited all these commitments. Let's remember Dante Cephas and Malik McLean were both brought on board of the program before Marcus Higgins came to campus. And he also inherited his freshman wide receiver and Carmelo Taylor. Unfortunately, 
the only wide receiver they're bringing to campus next week, as far as we know right now. Hint, hint, man. We, wink, wink. We'll see what happens. The transfer portal could do some things. But the only guy, uh, you know, is a freshman that is injured and in recovery modes. And you got to wait for Peter Gonzalez and Tysier Denmark to get to campus in the summer. So, Daniel, I think this is just an end-to-end -end on the calendar year where James Franklin just has to really feel like a, it was a swing and a miss, uh, quite frankly. Yeah, and you combine that with having a, a first-year starting quarterback, it's just – it's a very, very bad combination. Um, I, I think that, you know, there are things that Drew Aller needs to do better. There are things that, uh, you know, he he didn't do well this year. But it's kind of a – there's a give and take that goes with this where it's, you know, you have to kind of pick up the slack sometimes where if you're a quarterback like Drew Aller – and you're, you have this group of wide receivers, you really do need to be perfect. You need to ha put the ball right where it needs to be. You need to make the play where it's only they can get it. Uh, and then if you're a wide receiver, you need to be able to bail out your quarterback on occasion. And it feels like that never really happened this year. There is, I think the only time that you can really say that is against Indiana when Keandre Lambert-Smith came up with the big catch. Um, and that was, you were in kind of a gotta have it moment um, their backs were up against the wall. They didn't really have any other option. Um, and Keon, Drew Aller made the throw. Keandre Lambert-Smith made the play. But the other examples of that are very few and far between, it feels like. Um, so I just think it was a very – offense this year is just kind of a, a huge disappointment. Um, I, like, I still have some faith about Drew Aller, but – from where we were, however many, 13 games ago, I don't know how many weeks ago it was at this point, but from you know where we were then to where we are now, I mean, you you have to say that your perception of him has changed a little bit. What did um, we say, Daniel, back in August? I mean, we had Josh Payton. He was echoing what we were saying. We were saying this guy projects as someone who's going to be able to, to be a – uh, kind of a, a stabilizing force in moments mm -hmm. of adversity. And we've seen so much adversity at the offense. And, and, and that's not me saying that Drew Aller isn't saying the right things to his teammates, isn't doing the right things in team facilities, isn't showing up to the stadium on game day and doing everything he possibly can to be the best quarterback. But when, you know, the, when the whistle has been blown and the ball has been snapped and we've seen the three biggest games and the pressure cooker situations and, and the number of possessions that Penn state has had with the ability to tie or take a lead in games and, and the inability to execute an offensive coordinator was fired over that inability to execute. And, and we talked about the wide receiver situation, uh, but the quarterback has got to take uh, some of that. That's part of the job. And I, and I think that's maybe a, an element of the, the Drew Aller mystique that has taken a shot here in 2023. Mm -hmm. And I think you're kind of left as still viewing so much of who he is as a prospect rather than a proven commodity. And I think there was hope that, this would be the year where he entered the season as a prospect and that you'd enter next year, next September, when the Big Ten schedule ramps up as a proven commodity. I don't think we're there yet. Yeah, I, I, coming into the year, I viewed Aller as the, the next step from Sean Clifford, where Sean Clifford was consistent. For the most part, you knew what you were going to get on a daily basis, and you mostly saw that. And you knew what his limitations were, and he could – help you to a win here or there, but he wasn't necessarily the guy that was going to elevate a program where, and that is what I viewed Drew Aller as because that's what a five-star quarterback prospect is. He is someone who will come in and it raises your ceiling. Um, and I thought that Penn State would raise its ceiling this year. I thought they'd finish 11 and one, uh, but instead they, they plateaued with another 10 and two season, losing to the same teams and losing to those two teams in kind of the same very ugly fashion um, with, with issues on offense. Um, and then it just kind of reverted back to that a little bit today uh, in terms of what they were able to do, how they were able to be consistent. I mean, you had, you had those three and outs uh, in the second half that were just absolutely brutal. And I think that was really the game right there when you had that, those opportunities to take the lead um, and you just punt. <laughs> essentially on it. So now I think that we were hoping that going into next year with Drew Aller as the quarterback, you would know what you had uh, in terms of, okay, this is the guy that is going to elevate things. You know, we do have, we finally do have that superstar quarterback that has been kind of, 
you know, few and far between under James Franklin. Um, but instead, going into next year, the questions are kind of set up as, okay, what can he do? What is his ceiling? Is he going to improve? Are we going to see the same mistakes that we saw through his first year as a starter? Um, and so it's kind of, uh, it's quarterback remains an unanswered question. You know, I think that you know, we did we did offer the caveat a lot going into the season that it's still a first-year starting quarterback. No matter what the pedigree is, no matter what the rankings are, the fact that he did have that year to sit behind Sean Clifford, he had that seasoning, but he was still a first-year starter. It was going to be his first time where everything revolved around him, and he had to be the guy. And those things, when you have a first-year starter, it can go one of two ways. And I think it went kind of the, the negative way for most of the season. And so going into next year, it's going to be, all right, what has he done to improve? Uh, what has he done to put these mistakes behind him? And we'll, we'll see what that looks like. Tossed an interception, had, had a lost fumble today. Um, overall, two interceptions on the season versus 25 touchdowns. Throw. We've always said how, how pretty that stat line has been throughout the season. I know James Franklin told us after the Black Friday matchup at Michigan State that every coach across the country would take those numbers from a first-year starter. But this is a team that is desperately trying to break down that, break down that barrier at the top of the Big Ten. And this was the kind of quarterback that um, – maybe could give you the option and give you that sledgehammer to break that wall down. And it just, it did not happen this year. And here on another showcase game, it uh, didn't come together for him. Once again, it's going to be a conversation throughout the off season. And I do personally think uh, Daniel, that, that drew Aller has the right mental makeup to, to, to bounce back from this. I think he is a hell of a worker. His ethic is, is very strong. And I have a lot of belief that there's a reason why James Franklin got on a flight to Lawrence, Kansas, and made his best pitch to get Andy Kotelnicki here in Happy Valley. The Mike Yersich era is done. Uh, the Ty Howell, J. Juan Sider co-interim OC era is also done. And these teams, that these all these players, including Drew Aller, everyone who's back on the team, they're back on campus in about 10 days, as I said. And Andy Kotelnicki has the keys to this offense. And I'd imagine he has a lot of ideas about what worked and what didn't work as he conducts an autopsy on this 2023 offensive uh, approach for Penn State football. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We'll leave it at that with, with Drew, but we got to go over to the backfield with another second year player. And we were wondering for a long time how Nick Singleton was going to be feeling about himself coming out of the season. How were we going to be talking about Nick Singleton coming out of the season? And it turned out pretty damn good uh, for number 10. Uh, you got to give a lot of credit to this guy. The way he came out against Michigan State, I think we all we all saw what he was able to accomplish in Detroit that night together uh, with Katron Allen, uh, Daniel. But today, from the first carry of the game that he got, he was surging through Ole Miss defenders. Uh, he he looked like the guy who was surging through Utah defenders uh, against Utah or against uh, Utah out in, out in Pasadena last year in the Rose Bowl. And what he accomplished in his last two games, Daniel, three hundred twenty-two total yards. 168 of those rushing, 154 of those receiving, that's on only 32 offensive touches. So per clip, that's right around 10 yards per touch. And then when you just talk about him taking the ball and running with it, 6.5 yards per carry during that two-game sample size. I think one thing you could probably critique about this game plan a little bit uh, as you were trying to look for for something, I, maybe it's tough because you couldn't balance him with the passing game and you couldn't get Ole Miss to really respect you as a balanced offense, but we didn't see a lot of touches for Nick Singleton as this game went on. We didn't see them try to go back to the well in a game where it felt like they needed a spark. They, they were punts, punts, punts coming out of the second half, and Ole Miss was scoring, 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 and Singleton was kind of on ice for a stretch of this game, but you got to feel good. We, we, we've seen kind of duplicate seasons from Katron Allen. I think we know what to expect from him as a junior. He's going to take some steps forward. But Nick Singleton, 
for him to kind of answer the bell at the, at the final stretch of the season. It's great you know, that we get to talk about it and that fans out there get to get to say, oh, that's Nick Singleton. I remember him. But for Nick Singleton himself to internally enter this offseason with the self-assuredness that, yeah, I still got it. I'm that dude. I think this is a big deal for Penn State going into the offseason. It's a, really, it's a really good way for Singleton to end the season because I think that there was a pretty hefty stretch of the season where it was like, where is Nick Singleton? Well, you know, where was this guy that we saw last year that was breaking off these big gains that um, was pretty unstoppable at times? Um, and I think that we really did start to see that uh, the, these past two games. Um, I thought he had a lot of juice tonight. I thought that he was running really well. Um, I also thought Katron Allen had some good runs early. Um, he did, I think, his best run or one of his best runs got called back because of a holding penalty. Um, but I think that you kind of, and you brought it up where it, you kind of thought like, oh, this could be like the Cotton Bowl where you, you settle in and you just feed the backfield uh, and you let them go to work. But I thought Ole Miss made a couple adjustments and it seemed like some of the stuff on the ground uh, wasn't really working later um, as it did earlier. And then once Ole Miss got up two scores, that kind of, that really, really limits you of what you're able to do. But I, I think that I touched on it earlier. We, we've just seen Nick Singleton develop as a pass catcher so much and i think that that was something where even when he wasn't really getting going on the ground he was still making a bit of an impact through the air in the passing game and i think that if he can continue to to harness that continue to develop in that area it just makes him a more well-rounded back and someone like andy kotelnicki who is predicated on getting some of these playmakers in the space he could do some really fun things with nick singleton uh and if nick singleton is, is ready to catch the ball if he's ready to to line up out wide and catch a quick pass and go. Uh, I think that that's something that could be really beneficial to Penn state. But I, I think that Singleton is one of these players that as we go into the off season and there's not too many of them on offense, I think it's him and Tyler Warren and that might be it in terms of, and I think Katron Allen was good this year. Um, you know, those are the guys that you can really say definitively the arrow is pointing up. Everyone else is kind of, stock steady, um, you know, at best uh, in terms of that offense. So I, I think that coming in the next year, I think some of the talk is going to be similar to what it was coming into this year in terms of you've got two backs that are probably going to be in the NFL soon and you need to ride them and you, you hope that they can really continue to make plays for you. Yeah, well, uh, th that group is 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 really potentially special, not just in their way that they're going to produce at Penn State and, and their time together, but the fact that they're going to spend all this time together at Penn State in a position that relies a lot on ego in a position that often guys want to be the central figure in the backfield uh, for these two to approach year three together as roommates and as partners in crime on the football field. Uh, you got to real really feel good about that for Jaywan Sider. And, and, and if you're Drew Aller, knowing that those two guys are behind you for another year, that's a good spot. In terms of what's ahead of Drew Aller on the offensive line here, Daniel, some interesting things to work our way through out of this matchup. As we addressed, Olu Fashionu uh, was out for this game. Um, they announced that in the pregame availability a couple uh, hours before kickoff. We all knew what that meant. Drew Shelton uh, back into a New Year's Six start. We saw him last year in the Rose Bowl. It was his fifth consecutive start with Olu Fashionu sidelined. Uh, and now he's got another under his belt in a, in a big situation. This is a team at Penn State that averaged six yards per carry to get today against Ole Miss. They produced over 500 total yards. I know, uh, you know the, the stats were padded a bit in the final few minutes when this game was out of reach. They only surrendered one sack. I think they only surrendered four or five tackles for loss. So the offensive line didn't exactly fall apart today. And then this was even in a situation when Caden Wallace wasn't around for much of the second half. Well, I want to talk about that replacement in a second. But to me, you talk about important figures on this offense. Drew Shelton is way up the totem pole, in my opinion, because he is tested. He, he played 300-plus snaps during the regular season at both tackle positions, even though he didn't start a single game. And then he has all that run accrued from him last year. I think if they get him focused on one spot, and right now it seems to be left tackle, and they let him run with it for an entire calendar year rather than you know trying to teach him all the refined techniques of, of moving over to right tackle this year and competing with Caden Wallace – Really excited to see what the former top 24-7 prospect can become. And I think if you're going to lose an All-American tackle, a guy who's maybe going to be the first offensive tackle off the board, this is a really good heir apparent to have within your facility. I think it's going to be a big year with Shelton for offensive line coach Phil Troutline and strength coach Chuck Losey to really, really have him right. 
and have him ready for next year. Um, I, I think that you know, there's, you know, James Franklin is going to talk about having an open competition at, at every position, but I think that the way that things line up right now, um, Drew Shelton probably has the inside track to be that starting left tackle next year. So these reps are going to be very important for him in the spring. Um, I'm sure that even though Olu was practicing um, and you know in uniform for practice over you know, this month, I'm sure that Drew, Drew Shelton also got plenty of reps there too. So I think that he is someone who could be able to springboard off of this month into a, a spring. And if he can be strong and really get all of his reps, reps then, um, then I think he, he should be in a really, really good spot um, come next year. Uh, yeah, I think that he's a very different kind of tackle than Olu. I think that someone, someone on our board made the remark that you know, we know that Shelton's a big guy. But then when he's next to Olu, <laughs> he looks small sometimes just because of how big Olu is and how long he is. He's just a very, very rare um, person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it, it'll be different. But I think that Drew Shelton has an opportunity and you know, it's on him to take this and, and run with it a little bit. And then the opposite of Shelton, this was a really interesting development, <laughs> yeah. Daniel, because I mean, it, and I had a chance to speak with him after the game. Anthony Donka was was the guy they were rolling with that right tackle for, for for most of the duration of the second half of this game. I think maybe the entire second half of this game. Uh, he's a guy that that we saw involved at the guard spot in three different regular season games. He was a mainstay at Penn State prospect camps in the summer of 2022, which really set him up to come to campus with a really firm understanding of what Phil Troutwine wants. And he was also someone who set himself apart from a strength and conditioning standpoint. I mean, we just had to take a look at him back in, uh, you know, last March when these guys were in the field and he looked like he'd already been around for a year. And now he is maybe in the mix to be a tackle for you next year. And, and it's really interesting because he told us after the Michigan State matchup and, and, you know, Thanksgiving weekend, he was approached by the staff and Phil Troutwine talked about, you know, getting some reps at right tackle. And Caden Wallace helped him with that process. We saw Javen Williams repping at right tackle occasionally during the season. We saw Chimdi Ono over there occasionally during the season. Those are two true freshmen, guys who were billed as tackle prospects. But Anthony Donka was considered an interior lineman, a four-star level interior lineman. He played guard at the high school level in Virginia. He played guard since he got here to Penn State. And then all of a sudden, December comes, and, and you'd imagine Penn State's trying to figure out not just for the present, but also for 2024, what's going to make sense. They had a transfer commitment from a Division II guy in Allen Heron. He's going to be playing football in Maryland in 2024 instead. We know that they still got irons in the fire in the transfer portal, but what do you have internally? What are your options? Javen Williams, Jim Diono, Drew Shelton, those are the guys we've gone to. It's time to insert Anthony Donka into that conversation because coming out of this matchup, I thought he played pretty well. For a guy who's thrust onto the perimeter of the offensive line, it is a big difference when you go from guard to tackle because you got no one next to you to bail you out if things go bad. And he was playing on space and, and it wasn't always pretty. It's I'm very curious to go back and, and, and review particularly what he was able to do in the second half because I'm going to write something on Anthony in the upcoming week for us at lines247.com. But he came out of this kind of a revelatory moment for him maybe. I mean, uh, he was about as positive as of any a player I spoke with after this game. And I think it was because he found something at right tackle. He says he wants to keep digging his teeth into this, and he wants to, he's embracing a future at right tackle potentially. Maybe they view him as a swing piece. Maybe they're going to incorporate him in different spots. But this is a guy we got to keep our eye on come spring ball and through winter conditioning because you talk about someone who was under the radar really high uh, among staff conversations and player conversations in preseason. They didn't have to go out and, and burn his red shirt. They didn't need to because of the circumstances. But I think there was confidence in that facility dating back to August, Daniel, that if they had to, they could have burned the red shirt with Anthony Donka. In his fourth game appearance, going up against an SEC team, a top you know top 10 team that's going to finish in the final rankings, thought he held up pretty well. And I'm really in- intrigued by what's next for the second-year player in 2024. Yeah, I mean, you, you think about the the freshman offensive line class, and Donka did get that fourth star during the process, but he was the only one who wasn't in the top 24-7. And then each of the other guys had kind of their own signature thing, where Javen Williams was the five-star. Birchmeyer was the the first uh, first commit, and the guy that you know fell in the rankings a little bit, but some of that had to do with being strictly being an interior guy. But he was someone people knew from, from day one. Uh, they knew what he was about. They knew he was a very well-regarded prospect. And then Chim Diono was the late riser, 
getting into the top 247, signing in February uh, and, and, and joining this team. And Donka just kind of slipped in, right? Right under the radar. There was no nothing that really defined him uh, in that way during his recruitment or as a prospect. And I think that when we were getting that feedback uh, in the spring and early in fall camp, and you hear his name as one of the first ones in, in terms of talking about those young offensive linemen, it makes you perk up a little bit. And then when he was out there today, I mean, I saw him out there at right tackle and I kept having to be like, wait, that's Wormley. And I kept being like, like, what's off? Why is this slid over? Because in my head, he's still a guard. Um, and so I was very, very curious about that. And there, there was never really anything where you felt like he got totally overmatched. I mean, Jared Ivey, one of the defensive ends for Ole Miss, was a really, really good player and had a really good day. But Donga didn't look out of place there physically. He's on the Penn State roster at 6'5", 323. From a, a physical perspective, he looked like he belonged out there. Um, I think he has some nice length that could help him at tackle. Um, and this is going to be a very, very interesting subplot moving forward. Because if it means that he can do more than play guard, that unlocks uh, a little bit more for you. I think we think tackle is one of those positions and offensive line in general where it's like you can never have too many of them. Mm-hmm. You, know, you need to get all the ones that you can, um, mostly because it's a tough position to play. And the hit rate isn't always good, but it's also a position where you need depth because you know how important it can be when you lose one. Um, so that, that's going to be a fun subplot, I think. I think when you talk about positives to take out of Saturday in this Peach Bowl, um, I think Anthony Donka is probably, if he's not at the top of the list, he's probably number two or number three uh, in terms of things where you're kind of like, okay, I can see this as a positive for next year. I got another name for you, uh, Jameel Lyons. Yes. Get used to it, right? Because yeah. this is a guy that we have heard about all year since he showed up to campus in the summer. And credit to him, guys who show up in the campus in the summer, it's tough sometimes to really get on the radar. But within a week of, of August practice, we have people talking to us very highly about what Jamil Lyons was going to accomplish in a Penn State uniform as his career developed. And he picked up a sack in early September against Delaware. And he's somebody who was flashing the football field, ultimately shed his redshirt status as the season wore on. And we heard from Adiza Isaac, Curtis Jacobs, and, and other people that his December bowl preparation really impressed, that he was making plays all over the field in pass coverage as a pass rusher, really a special component, a piece that you can have some imagination with on your defensive front. And he had one of the more impressive defensive plays on either side of the football, I thought, today. Uh, you know, going up and and, and then contacting uh, Kinshawn uh, Judkins, who is a, is a load to bring down at the running back position. I think we all saw that today. And he had Judkins' hand on his face mask, pushing, trying to get him off of him, and he buried him in the backfield. He finished that play. I thought that showed strength from Lions and overall he's a guy that I don't know if he starts next year you got denied Dennis Sutton you got Zariah Fisher you got a mean Vanover we got to keep an eye on Smith Bilbert who can come back for a sixth season there's moving pieces there but he's going to be a major factor for this defense and I think Tom Allen is going to get to work on figuring out how to maximize his skill set as a second year player they hit a home run with this kid out of Philly they absolutely love this pickup and I think in a couple years from now he could be one of the most impressive edge rushers in this conference. I know that's putting it really high standard right now up for a guy who's played just seven or eight games at the college level. But the feedback that we have received from people that we really respect their opinion, combined with what we've gotten to see a little bit of him in action, I think as we look for for stock-up situations and silver lining situations coming out of a relatively underwhelming performance for Penn State in a frustrating afternoon overall, Jameel Lyons also fits that bill. The Jud- the Judkins play was just very, very cool, I think, in terms of mm-hmm. watching a guy finish a play in a very physical moment and, and not letting himself. Uh, you know, we've seen defensive backs or defensive ends get thrown down to the ground on, in something like that. But, but for him to, to really finish that out <clears throat> I, was just very, very cool to see. But I think this offseason, I think when we get into February um, and those workouts – uh, start again and you know Dion Barnes is gonna be uh, you know posting the top performer from yeah. from that morning's workout. I I have a feeling that Jameel Lyons is someone whose name we're going to see a lot. Um, I think it goes back to uh, talking to Chuck Losey, I believe during the bye week and asking him about Jameel Lyons and just the feedback that he had. Like he was so effusive, so in depth um, and really kind of laid out 
what he can, what Jamil Lyons can be physically. And like you said, he got here last summer. So this is going to be the opportunity for him to have the winter, have the spring, have the summer. Now, this is an opportunity for him to really change his body. I know that when, you know, every couple months when you get the roster update, we're looking at, you know, who's weighing what, you know, where, where is this? I mean, he's at 246 pounds right now, according to the official roster. I mean, we could probably see that change uh, in, in these next couple of months. So he's got the frame, he's got tools, he's got potential. Um, it's going to be very, very fun, I think, to watch him develop. And I think that as we learn more about Dion Barnes as a developer of talent, um, I think that Jamil Lyons is someone who is probably going to be like the, the first kind of test case for this. Because um, he comes in, um, you know, kind of raw in certain ways. How is he being molded? How, what is the end product going to look like? Yeah. And, and, and I guess now shifting focus from these young components and we'll finish here, Daniel, cause it's going to be be a busy 72 <laughs> hours ahead of us. And, and we've got a lot of decisions coming our way. I don't think we've seen any, which is kind of interesting. I think in the past few years, we've almost seen, you know, bold night announcements from guys. It's still early. It's, it's nine 30 here in Atlanta. <laughs> so there, there may be some room, but uh, guys like Devon Ellis, uh, Keandre Lambert Smith, uh, you, you, Sal Wormley, guys who have eligibility uh, for COVID reasons, and 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 other you know, Akeem Beeman fits into that category. Guys that have been around the program for a while, and and guys that you wonder can they still fulfill potential, and 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 with another year here, and is there value for them? Is there value for Penn State? And there's a lot of names on this list, and, and those are going to come. And then we have pieces of this roster who are maybe second or third year players who haven't found their footing and maybe it's time to move on and find a different change of scenery and hit the transfer portal. And these are all the things that are going to pop up between now and, and when the team is back on the field for winter conditioning period. And of course we know that they are hunting for talent in the transfer portal and that officially gets ramped up today. I'm sure James Franklin isn't wasting much time shifting focus from peach bowl prep to trying to go and, and bring talent to happy Valley. But, Daniel, this is going to be really interesting because after the opt-out stuff and after those decisions are made, the post-bowl decisions really determine so much about the personnel plan, the depth chart, maybe what you're trying to accomplish in the transfer portal here and in, in, in the rest of the winter. And there are some things hanging in the balance. We don't know what's been decided quite yet with some of these cases. We think we know where certain guys are leaning, but until they make it public – Penn State's got some loose threads right now in terms of this transition from 2023 to 2024. Yeah, I mean, it's great timing for both of us to be traveling uh, and also to have a, a holiday thrown in there as well. Yeah, we, um, we staggered our flights and, and Team Brennan is staying stationary in Atlanta on Sunday. So we got a shot to pull this off. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, <laughs> but But yeah, I mean, I think that there's going to be a lot of movement. I think that um, you know, James Franklin did a nice job uh, keeping this team, or we thought things were set up for him to do a nice job keeping it intact. Um, we haven't seen the big portal exodus. Um, we haven't even really seen the standard attrition yet. Um, and I think that that's something that is, is going to come next. And that's always worth remembering that that standard attrition isn't necessarily the draft or the portal. It could be a, a case like Bryce Effner last year where someone has eligibility and it's just time uh, for them. They want to do something else with their life. They don't want to be in college for six years and they know that there might not be something at the next level for them. Um, so I think that that's something to, to keep in mind as well um, when, when you think about attrition. So it's going to be, there's going to be a lot going on. Um, I think that the, I think we've seen it today with Ohio state having guys go into the portal. I think that, you know, guys stuck around, did the new year six bowl game, um, and I think that this is where it'll start to shake out. I think we saw that last year after the Rose Bowl, we had a couple more entrants um, in, into the portal uh, while yeah. we were still out in LA. So Fatoma Mobile played in the Rose Bowl, and I think like by the time the plane landed, I, it felt like he had, <laughs> he had entered the transfer portal, and he was off to West Virginia pretty quickly after that. Exactly. So we'll, we'll see like what this looks like, but I, I think that we, we've known that the roster next year is is going to look very different just because last year you had so many guys come back um, and we knew that with some of them, it was kind of unspoken that it was going to be for one year. Um, and so there's going to be the turnover there. And then you just have that, that standard attrition uh, that's, 
you know, turning rooms over, guys looking for other opportunities, reading the writing on the wall. Um, so we'll we'll see what that looks like. Um, it's going to be very interesting, you know, these next couple of days to see exactly how all of this comes together. Well, Daniel, it's been a pleasure. Uh, Thirteen <laughs> post game podcast. I'm glad we're not doing the uh, the two a.m. three a.m. shift for our grand finale here. But uh, from my understanding, we went over one million podcast listens here for the Lions twenty four seven podcast for a third consecutive year. Very proud of that. So happy to have you as a key component of, it, of that since two thousand and two. And additionally, we set an all time high for subscriptions at Lions twenty four seven during this twenty twenty three year. So a, a lot to be grateful for here, and and so much of that is to our listeners, our audience. It, it, many of you came up to us uh, during the day today, and then I got to meet some people face to face in Atlanta. I think Daniel may have done that too in, in the last few days here in downtown. So, uh, cool experience. It didn't end up the way that I know a lot of Penn State fans wanted to, but um, we're grateful to get to do this for a living and, and to get to come on the podcast and hash things out. And we'll do it again next year. We, we've got another episode coming for you uh, after the New Year's Day, uh, after New Year's Day, and then we'll get through the semifinals of the college football playoff. We'll catch our breath a little bit. We'll see who announces what. And we'll come back to you next week. We'll, we'll regroup and we'll come up with some more final thoughts as the regular as this 2023 season uh, is wrapped up and in the books. Daniel, anything to add before we say goodbye and good night? No, I mean it was a it was a very fun year. Um, I'm I'm glad to have this be be on the team. And you know when you think about how many listens we have, uh, we saw a couple people a couple people Spotify wrapped earlier this month. And you know to be given that time that is so precious and for you guys to spend it with us. Um, I think I really, really appreciate that. Um, it kind of boggles my mind sometimes to, to think about that, but, um, you know, it was a fun year. I know that for some people, it didn't go the way that they wanted to overall. I know that today didn't go the way that a lot of people wanted it to go, but I think that it was a very, very, uh, rewarding season to cover. And, you know, like always, I'm always excited for what's next. We'll be there to cover it. Whatever happens next, uh, Daniel, of course, will be all over the Penn State basketball beat in, in the upcoming months as well. But uh, for now, we'll step aside. We're going to go down to the hospitality suite and, and, and uh, put a punctuation mark on our time here in Atlanta. But thank you to everyone on behalf of Daniel Gallon, Mark Brennan, and Grace Brennan, who are working their butts off down here in Atlanta as well. I'm Tyler Donahue. This has been the Lions 24-7 Podcast.